God a hand clap of praise. Now, I want you to praise him like this. I want them to praise him this good. That who the sun sets free is free indeed. I need some free folk to give God a free praise. Come on, come on, come on. I'm going to push you a little bit. You've been in the house for a whole year. Won't you give a praise like you're glad to be out the house? Come on, give God a praise this morning. Hallelujah. All right, I'm not going to mess with y'all too much because we got a low, we got a new series. But I'm just excited to see you all. I'm so excited to those of you online. I'm grateful uh, to see you with us online. Uh, I just, I'm just excited. I'm just excited. And we began a new series. And I'm looking forward uh, to this uh, multiple week series that we'll be uh, going into the might from the margins. Today we begin this new series in uh, might from the margins and one of my seminary professors, Dr. Dennis Edwards, wrote this book called The Might from the Margins that the gospel has the power to turn the table on injustice. And I think all of us understand a gospel that has the power to save, to transform believers to unbelievers to believers but I don't know as Christians that we see this gospel as a liberator, a reconciler, a healer of those who are experiencing injustice. If the gospel can pull us out of the grips and hands of Satan, then surely a gospel can liberate those experiencing injustice. Some of, some of you are opening on the opening in this series is getting a little nervous. But I quote, I quote my, this great theologian Howard Thurman in his meditations that he says to all of us is one in life. He says, there is no such thing as an ultimate detachment of any part of life from the whole than the meaning of the simple statement. They, as a part of us, have done this to us, begins to make sense. Here it is. The moment this is understood, two attitudes become apparent. One is no longer possible to separate oneself from another even that over person behaves as if we were not a oneself. And two, it becomes reasonable thing to me to hope to understand another person because the hope that I can ultimately understand myself. Grace City, in order for us to understand each other, those who are considered outsiders and insiders, we must understand that we are called all attached to one another and how we treat those who are on the margins is how we are treating ourselves. Grace City, the gospel is the neutralizer. It brings the power of the gospel to those who are on the margins. So let's begin this morning at Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17. Hear the words of the, Lord, of the scripture. Paul writes these words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed as the righteousness that is by from faith from first to the last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
what grabs my attention this morning is verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Let me pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you, we celebrate you, and we honor you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me, shake me, break me, break into what you need me to be. Holy Spirit, we give you full authority. Minister through my mind. Speak with my heart. In Jesus' name, we pray and all God's children say amen, 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 amen. Mary Lou, after being in the house for over a year, having to deal with a pandemic of over three million people losing their life, millions of people losing jobs, 100,000, hundreds of thousands of school children unable to go to school, not be in community, it is fair to say this morning that we need some good news. The problem with news is that little, it can be good news for some and bad news for others. See, when the stock market goes down, it's bad news for those who place their retirement in the market, but it's good news for those who invest in looking for a cheaper stock. See, it's bad news for those who have lost their job because of budget cuts to bring a profit but it's good news for those who profits go up because of the cuts. It's bad news in the housing prices who are trying to buy a house in its booming market and the houses are high, but it's good news for those who are selling in this market. You know, the word gospel is good news. It is the life, it is the death, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He conquered death, burial, and the grave. He got up, and you and I can now get up. That's good news. It's good news for not just all, all of us who have, who have privilege, but it is a good news for those who are in the margins. The gospel has the power to save not just those who are on the inside, but it also saves those who are on the margins. In other words, the gospel is good news for all people. Galatians 3 and 28 says, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave, slave nor free, but we are all one in Christ. Somebody say, that's good news. That's good news. Paul goes on and says that now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved, and you hold firmly on the words that I preach to you. Great city, the gospel has the power to save. In this chapter 1, Paul is writing a salutation to the church at Rome. The book of Rome is written at the end of Paul's third missionary journey. He had written to the churches and had already established addressing some of the issues that had already occurred during the churches of Galatia, the church at Thessalonica, and the church at Corinth. Romans is an overview of Paul's life over the past 10 years of his ministry. You know, in, in, in verse 1 and 6, he identifies his commitment to the calling to the people of the gospel. And verses 7 through 15, he makes it clear his commitment to the church and to the people of Rome. He calls them saints. He thanks God for their faith. He, wants to, he longs to spend time with them, and he's, he's excited about them. But verse 16 is where we are in the text this morning. Romans chapter 1, the most important verse in the New Testament, is foundational tenet about the gospel is that this gospel 
have saving power. Let me say it again. This, this text is, lifts up the very idea that this gospel has saving power. This gospel is actively at work reaching the hearts of God's people. The gospel is a story of God telling and showing his love to the wayward and marginalized people. This gospel is God at work through the redemptive love of his people. Dwight Moody said it this way, this gospel is like a lion and all the preacher has to do is open the gate and get out of the way. The gospel is God's power that leads to salvation. Paul opens his statement though and says, I am not ashamed of this gospel. In other words, he concludes that Paul is saying that I am proud of this gospel. Paul says it, it did not let me down. Paul says this gospel did not put me to shame. But John Stotts recounts a comment made by a Scottish theologian by name of James Stewart concerning this passage. He said, there is no sense in declaring you're not ashamed of something unless you've been tempted to feel ashamed. I believe some of us are tempted to be ashamed of this gospel because we proclaim a gospel that Jesus saves me from what I do that is wrong, but we do not preach a gospel that also saves me from the wrong that's done to me. We want a gospel that confesses our wrong but, we, we, but, there's a, but there's silence in our gospel what's wrong is done to others. We want a gospel that deals with personal sin, but be silent on corporate evil, racism, discrimination, and dehumanization. That's the gospel that some of us get ashamed of. If the gospel we, we preach and proclaim does not address evil that oppresses then that is no good news for everyone. Sharon Harper says, if the gospel fails to meet when facing people who need good news the most, the impoverished, the oppressed, and the broken, then there is no good news for them. The word gospel is synonymous with evangel, which good proclamation at times. It, it, it presents the gospel that good for, for all people, not just good for some. You know, the great abolitionist Frederick Douglass said something that this American Christianity, that this Christianity of the land and there is Christianity of Christ. And he says there are two different Christianities. He says, he says, I recognize that the widest possible difference in these two Christianities. He says one is good, pure, holy, and of necessity to, and the, and the other one we must reject the one that is bad, corrupt, and evil. He says, I love the pure, peaceable, impartial Christianity of Christ, but I hate the corrupt, slave-holding, woman-whipping, cradle-blundering, hypocritical Christianity of the land. He says, the hypocrisy of Christianity of the land is what many of us can say, I am ashamed, because the Christianity of the land is counterintuitive to the Christianity of Christ. We can't preach a gospel that has the power to change behavior of people, but does not change the condition of a people. We need a gospel that changes lives and behavior and changes people's condition. My former dean 
one of the leading scholars in Pauline's writing, Dr. Michael Gorman, states, we must even say that Jesus not just proclaimed the good news of, to the poor, but that, that promise in Isaiah, but also Jesus is the content of the gospel that includes his teaching and actions as well as his death and resurrection. Somebody say his teaching and actions. Many of us in this room have felt ashamed of this gospel, but because it has the power to, because it has the power to save or, and to liberate, but the actions of this gospel at times when we've seen in our own country that it, it, it's been, it has placed people in bondage and have stood up for systems of injustice. At times, this gospel seems like it is for those who are in the inner circle and ignore those who are on the margin. But listen, church, Paul still says these words. I am not ashamed of this gospel. And why is it that Paul is not ashamed of this gospel? It is because it has the power to save not just those who are on in the inside, but it saves those who are on the margins. The gospel saved him. The gospel redeemed him. The gospel restored him. The gospel transformed him. And guess what? It wasn't when Paul was on the inside. It was when Paul was on the margins, crucifying, uh, uh, destroying Christians. He met gospel. That's the gospel that he's not ashamed of, the one that meets us at the margins. Great City, this gospel that Paul was not ashamed of is not just a gospel that changes behavior but it's a gospel that changes conditions. This wasn't gospel just to save you from your sin, but it also liberates those who are on the margin. Great City, this gospel is the power of God to save, but it does not just save you from your sin, but it's the power to liberate those who are on the margins. So the first thing I say to us this morning, that the power of this gospel is not just to save you from sin, but it has the power to liberate those who are on the margins. Somebody say that's good news. Listen to it again. It says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it's the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. Paul says he's not ashamed because it has the power to save. The power of the gospel is at work. To hear the gospel is to experience God. When Paul writes the salvation is more than forgiveness of sin. It is to be redeemed. It means to be set right. How, do you, how did Jesus set things right? Jesus was a ransom and he redeemed. Listen, Mark says it this way. For even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. In America, we see ransom related to money. The focus on ransom is the first century was not money. It was freedom. Jesus as the redeemer is the one that set people free. When we want to make the gospel about setting people from sin, but, but, but still have systems that enslave people, I want you to understand that is not just the gospel that Jesus preached. Jesus preached the gospel. He's a ransom. He was the one that set the people free. I'm not making this up. In Luke chapter 4, here it is. 
Jesus walks into the sanctuary. Jesus walks into the sanctuary and says, I am the one that Isaiah talked about. I am the one that's going to redeem the people. And he walked in there, he opened up the Bible, and he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He has set the captives free, open sight to the blind, and, and open the prison doors for those who are bound. In other words, this God, this gospel that he said, it's just not, he's just not just to save, but he is here to free up the prisoners, those who are on the margins of life. But Jesus anticipates their desire to him to do miracles and that he's done elsewhere. It, 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 it's interesting because when he does this, everybody gets excited. They're happy, church. Jesus redeems and everybody's ex, 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 excited and happy. But all of a sudden, something unique happens. The Bible continues, and, and you got to keep reading the story. Because this same Jesus that said, I come to redeem and set the people free in Luke 4, by the time you, in 16, by the time you get to verse 28, his head is hanging over a cliff. Why is Jesus' head hanging over the cliff? And he tells a story. It's interesting because he, he then tells a story. He says, you know, a prophet is not honored in his hometown. And he goes on and he, and he, and he, and he, gives, he gives two examples of prophets. He gives the example of Elijah and he gives the example of Elijah. And he talks about these two prophets and, 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 and the people are upset. And the reason why they're upset is because Jesus, at the time when Elijah was the prophet, the prophet was sent to a people who were in trouble. And the prophet goes to a woman who was an outsider first, and he heals this child. And then the other story he says with Elijah, where he, a man named Naaman, who is, has a leopard, he's an outsider, and, God, and he goes and heals this leopard. Jesus used in the book of Luke an example of two outsiders that he goes to first. In other words, Jesus goes to the margin, take care of the people of the margin first, and the people are now upset. And the question I have in the text, why they're angry of a Jesus who goes to the margin? Why they're upset with a Christ who's willing to go to the margin? He used this as, as an example of what his mission was about. And here's the question for us. Why are we upset of a God that goes to the margin and change the lives of people who are broken at the margin? Why are we arguing and fussing over a God who loves the margin? And the reason why he doesn't, look, I know what, what, why we get upset. It is because we think we, Jesus is saying, oh, you are more, the margin is more important than those who are in the inside. The outside is more important than the inside. He's not saying that. Jesus understands that we have isolated those in the margin, so we go there first. So he said, they matter. He goes to the margin first because society would normally not think they matter. He said, they matter. He says, the leopard matters. He says, the woman matters. But check this out, church. Luke chapter 428, Jesus' head is hanging over a cliff because they're angry because he said the margins matter. 
we cannot have a gospel that speaks to our sin but not have a gospel that helps to change people's condition. He said, I come to set the captives free, to liberate those who are blind. This gospel, if we're not going to be ashamed of this gospel, it's got to be a gospel that liberates those who are on the margins. But the second thing I see here is not only does this gospel liberate those who are on the margin, but the second thing I see is that we have a gospel that reveals Christ's righteousness to those on the margin. Look at verse 17. For the gospel and the righteousness of God is revealed. Paul is given to the Romans a paradigm for life. Nothing will display the righteousness of God to the needy of the world like the message of the gospel. Christ's righteousness revealed to those on the marshes is the thing that changes life. In verse, uh, um, in this passage, Paul is quoting Habakkuk. And, and it's a very interesting time in Habakkuk because Habakkuk is upset because he's saying, help God. It seems like you've forgotten us. Help God, help God. Habakkuk is upset at this time and he lifts this passage up. And he says these words. He says, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation. Make it plain on the tablets so that a hurl may run with it. For the revelation waits upon a time. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false through its linger. Wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See the enemy is puffed that his desire is not upright, but the righteous person will live by the faithfulness. Let me paraphrase this. Paraphrase this is the revelation of the righteousness that is going to put the rest, the fears of inaction and injustice. He says this revelation, when Jesus' righteousness is set up to those in the margins, it will put away but the, the injustice and, and inaction. But he says, I want you to do one thing. Have faith. He says, until the righteousness is real, trust by faith. Paul quotes this because he knew the people under Roman oppression needed good news to be revealed. There were people at this time in Habakkuk were under Babylonian oppression, and they needed good news at that time. And I believe people who are on the systems of oppression in our culture today, they need some good news. Jesus' righteousness stands up before us and says, I care and you matter. That is the righteousness of God. It liberates. He stands and meets you right there. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it because it didn't come to me when I had it together. It came to me when I was a hot mess. I am not ashamed of this gospel. So we can't be okay with a gospel <laughs> that saves and correct behavior and be okay with people's condition any kind of way. Jesus stood up in that sanctuary and said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me to set the captives free sight to the blind 
He came to change conditions. Not just behavior. And I know Isaiah sees this and says, and you got to understand the words of Isaiah in Isaiah 50. He says, in my words that goes out from my mouth, it will not return back empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Great City, the gospel does not contain the power of God. It is the power of God to everyone who believes and live in it. Some of y'all just missed that. This gospel has the power not just to save those on the inside, but to liberate and reveal God's righteousness to those who are on the margin. I declare this morning, a God that goes to the margin and change people's lives and condition, I can stand flat-footed, button my jacket up and say just like Paul, I am not ashamed of this gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Amen. Hallelujah. Pastor Corey, hallelujah. Faith. 